With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. It's the Friday edition, which means we have the Friday panel coming up at the bottom of the hour. But to start today's program, it is a rebroadcast of Tuesday morning's Front Burner from CBC News. Hi, everyone. I'm Angela Starrett. If you heard yesterday's episode, you'll probably know that this week we're looking back at some important and interesting episodes from the past year. Today we're exploring the connection between New Age spirituality and COVID-19. We recorded this back in October. And since then, we've continued to see some people in what you can broadly call the wellness world turn their backs on vaccine science. In this episode, Jamie dives into that wellness industry and explores the potentially harmful beliefs that thrive there. So last week, this map popped up online. It showed this loose network of businesses that said they would not enforce vaccine passport rules. And as I clicked through the map, something really stood out. The number of businesses that could loosely be described as being part of the quote-unquote wellness world. An acupuncture fertility clinic, a place that sells crystals, and even an organic lunch spot. Today, a closer look at the connection between wellness culture and anti-vaccine and anti-vaccine passport movements. Matthew Rumsky is a journalist and co-host of the podcast Conspirituality, as in conspiracies plus spirituality. He's a former yoga teacher, so he knows this world intimately. Hi, Matthew. Thank you so much for making the time today. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me on. So so before we get to the conspiracy stuff, can we start with you just painting a picture of, of, of the general online wellness and spirituality world for me? Like, like, what does it look like? It looks like a very large affiliate networked maze of unregulated disciplines that range from alt health secular to very religious promises of salvation through meditation or intention setting or energetic medicine. And there's this range that goes from like quasi materialist, um, you know, ostensibly evidence-based practices like acupuncture or mm. TCM uh, or the pre-modern like Indian health system of Ayurveda. But it goes all the way up to sort of completely magical practices of channeling, crystal healing, gong baths, you know, discovering what alien family of star seeds you belong to. Hmm. Um, and but the alien common family of, of what? A star seeds, star seeds. Yeah. This is, this is in the disclosure uh, community where people uh, believe that we're living in an age in which it's going to be discovered that, you know, all human beings actually belong to uh, transcendently evolved alien species. Uh, okay. And we're going to learn that about ourselves. But the common denominator amongst all of the practitioners, and I think a lot of the, of the consumers of this demographic, is that in the absence of there being real standards of care or qualifications for practice, um, what makes you really popular or visible in this world is charisma. Hmm. Hmm. So, so give me, give me, can you tell me a little bit more what, about what you mean by that? I mean that uh, there's no way of 
proving that you have a good meditation or yoga practice technique, mm-hmm. except by appearing to do so. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no way that you can uh, prove that you're magical water through, you know, the Kangen filters or bottles or whatever is, you know, has some evidence-based effects except for collecting anecdotes and presenting them in a very charismatic way. That's what makes you visible. It's not about going to school. It's not about getting credentials. It's not about peer review or or any kind of accountability. I wonder if you could give me an example of, of someone who's been really good at that and and how well in the yoga world the precedence of charisma over any other kind of value goes right back to the beginning of the globalization period with somebody like mr iyengar who is the most notable probably the most photographed yoga personality in the history of the industry Mm-mm. and in the book that he published in 1966 light on yoga uh, which i think has sold about three million copies in english alone uh, he makes medical claims for each of the postures on each of the pages without a shred of medical training or you know there's no medical disclaimer at the front of the book and so it really begs the question what why do people believe what he says so i guess Continuing on that thread then, I wonder if you could talk to me a little bit more about how the Venn diagram of this wellness and spirituality world and conspiracy theories kind of meet and overlap here. And I guess we should probably put in a caveat that that like this is a really large group. And and so we're not we're not talking about like everybody in, in the wellness and spirituality space here. Right. Well, this is where the term conspirituality is really useful. And it was coined by two scholars uh, in a 2011 paper, David Voas, who's a uh, professor of religion, and then Charlotte Voas, um, or sorry, uh, Charlotte Ward. What they say conspirituality is, is it's this amalgam of two core convictions. So the two convictions are, uh, one, a secret group covertly controls or is trying to control the political and social order. And number two, humanity is undergoing a quote-unquote paradigm shift in consciousness. And proponents believe that the best strategy for dealing with a threat of a totalitarian new world order is to act in accordance with an awakened new paradigm worldview. Hmm. And so no, we're not talking about everybody who ends up being a consumer in the wellness space, but we're talking about a very powerful marketing drive that is at its core, which says on one hand, the world is a very uncertain, scary place. And on the other hand, it says, and that means that this is your opportunity to wake up, find your personal power, you know, uh, speak with your guides and take these herbs and become a transcendent being with right, perfect, challenge- with perfect emergency immunity. I mean, before the pandemic hit, um, these would be influencers who would be talking about the nastiness of the fluoridation of the water. Also, there's this like uh, panic around fertility, especially as it's potentially expressed through the divine masculine and the divine feminine. Uh, So for instance, um, there's a, there's a, Canadian or I guess former Canadian uh, conspirituality influencer named Yolande Norris Clark, uh, recently of Fredericton, New, Bl- New Brunswick, but now I think she's living in Central America because she didn't like the lockdown policies. Uh, and she based her free birth um, 
programming. So she advocates, you know, women giving birth without any medical interventions at all. And her premise was that the quote unquote birth industrial complex actually exists to enslave women and deprive them of the transformational opportunity of unassisted birth, you know, Mm -hmm. ideally in the forest or something like that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So before COVID, her brand was built on claiming that OBGYNs are basically out to abuse women and enforce a kind of internalized uh, misogyny and patriarchy. Uh, so the, the, the impetus for claiming that, you know, the institutions by which, you know, our economies run are actually out to control your autonomy so that you can't express yourself and develop spiritually. This is common without, within wellness discourse, and it has been for decades. That birth tends to work very well when it isn't being sabotaged, uh, especially by technological interventions. I started speaking out against the totalitarian coup that has been ongoing in Canada for over a year now, back in February of 2020. I was ridiculed, laughed at, and threatened for doing so. A few weeks later, I began talking about the impending. Right, okay. And, and being. Just to be clear here, as we sort of move into COVID here, being anti-vax is, is not new to, to some of this, some in this community, right? No, not at all. At the heart of modern wellness is this idea uh, of personal health uh, that can be perfect and autonomous. Now, listeners might have heard the phrase sovereignty, which from a wellness point of view is often used to refer to the belief that a virtuous and mindful and awakened person should be impervious to all disease. And so a rejection of public health measures or the notion that health is actually a public affair is kind Mm -hmm. of baked into that philosophy. And now this makes sense in countries like the U.S., where a lot of this stuff comes from, because healthcare is run there, you know, just on the principles of predatory capitalism and people feel neglected institutionally. It doesn't make so much sense in Canada, but that hasn't stopped the sort of ideology from spreading. And specifically to the point about vaccines, the very notion that the state could make you healthy through an injection of a uniform substance that everybody is going to get that isn't sort of like tailor-made or bespoke to your constitution or whatever is Mm -hmm. really insulting because what it does is it demystifies the spiritual mystery of health and makes it shared. All wellness practices, because they are filtered through commodification, late capitalism, they are really designed to increase consumer individuality or at least the impression of it. So everybody gets their special formula. Everybody has a particular body type. Everybody has a particular sort of allergen, you know, profile and stuff like that. And then of course you have your chakras and you have your past lives and you have all of this stuff that makes you uniquely, uniquely snowflakely you, right? Mm -hmm. And, and if you say to that person, no, actually we all need 0.5 milliliters of the same Pfizer vaccine, and then we're going to be okay. That kind of blows apart all of the preciousness that this economy is built upon. What's interesting to me is that submission to state coercion in regards to the special medicine is often framed as having no choice. I had no choice but to take the injection. I had to go see my dying father. But actually, you did have a choice. 
to me a little bit about how this all manifested uh, in the context of the pandemic, uh, when the pandemic uh, hit. What, what did we start seeing? We saw a lot of yoga teachers and wellness practitioners locked at home with everybody else. And because of that, their ability through their gig work, you know, pathways to make money was shrunken down to being on screen as much as they possibly could be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what some people began to feel, and not only because they were also anxious about what was actually happening in the world, but they began to feel that if they migrated their concentration towards transgressive or inflammatory content, that they would become more visible. And that mm. ended up being true. We have a great example in a New Jersey yoga teacher and yoga mat seller named Crystal Tini, who before the pandemic uh, hit, had a very sort of modest 2000 or so followers. And then uh, as she started posting um uh, QAnon materials, it skyrocketed to 100,000. Now, we're not sure what exactly red-pilled her, so to speak, although she made reference to over one weekend watching all nine episodes of uh, a documentary, well, d- quote-unquote documentary called Fall of the Cabal, uh, which was a primary QAnon re- recruiting video. Now, how did she get access to that? Well, because it was circulating through yoga Facebook groups, because yoga Facebook groups would might have overlaps with you know, anti-vaccination groups right. or anti-vaccination groups might have overlaps with, you know, um, uh, 5G is going to kill us all groups. Uh, and so there's kind of a, a this sort of viral networked way in which QAnon material burbled up into mainstream yoga and wellness land and became very, very attractive for influencers who wanted to increase their engagement, whether they believed in it or not, which is a very sad thing, because I ended up interviewing a lot of uh, sort of B-list yoga personalities who had gone through a spate of posting QAnon materials. But then when I asked them about it afterwards, like, why did you do that? Or were you really on board? Mm. Uh, they didn't really have an answer. They, some of them didn't want to talk about it. They wanted to put it behind them. Um, they might have felt that they had gotten sideswiped by something that felt like a pressing social issue at the time, but they didn't really understand what it was about. Right. You got to think it's sad, too, because a lot of these people probably had fairly large followings. And you have to think that by doing this, they probably brought these more fringe ideas to a more mainstream audience, too. Absolutely. Yeah. The best the best example that we've studied on the podcast, this is a classic one now, is that Christiane Northrup, who's a um, OBGYN who has been like the patron saint of alternative women's health for the last 30 years in the States. She lives in Maine. Um, somehow somebody sent her something. She got red billed. She went down a rabbit hole at some point uh, and began this video series in which she was talking about how the great awakening was about to occur. If we all meditated in the correct way and took baths in particular Epsom salts and whatever. If you want to stop creating the same patterns, you need to change your consciousness. So step two, sort through your beliefs. Acknowledge the health-eroding beliefs you have inherited and release them. This includes your family legacy, which affects your energy, health, and potential for change. For example, 
But she became the main mainstream gateway for the viral spread of Plandemic by Mickey Willis mm-hmm. uh, on on May 5th of 2020. It was her share out of a QAnon-related Facebook group uh, that brought her 500,000 followers into contact with, you know, the the worst and most effective anti anti lockdown COVID denialist propaganda that was made. Right. And of course, uh, the pandemic is this idea that there's there's like this hidden agenda behind COVID-19, that this is all government driven. Okay, now here's a couple things. Are the vaccines experimental? You bet they are. Will the vaccine stop me from getting COVID? No. Will the vaccine stop me from spreading COVID? No. Um, Have the vaccines caused any deaths or injuries? Yes. Are the vaccine manufacturers? On 93.1 CFIS-FM, that is part one of Tuesday morning's front burner from CBC News. We will have part two in a moment here on After 9. Give your morning a boost with some sounds from above with Songs in the Chapel Sunday mornings at 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Join me, Corey Walker, as I fill the airwaves with the sounds of heavenly gospel music. I feature a mixture of traditional country, bluegrass, southern, and black gospel, and even a little bit of worship and contemporary Christian music. An inspiring message from the Salvation Army's Heartbeat series is featured in every show. Has songs in chapel Sunday morning at 9, only here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. The Q3 Creative Business Hub is now open for space rentals at Quebec and 3rd. Rent a 100-square-foot office for as low as $470 a month, Wi-Fi included. Just need a desk to get out of the house? Use one in our open office environment for $260 a month, $160 for occasional drop-ins, or just $20 a day. For more information, email q3building at gmail.com. Q3 Creative Business Hub, open for desk and office rentals at Quebec and 3rd. I'm Shirley Bond, the MLA for Prince George Valemount. The holiday season gives us the opportunity to reflect on the challenging times we have faced and show our gratitude to those who have worked tirelessly to keep people and communities safe. After another difficult year, it is so important to be thankful for the good things in our lives and to spend time with those we care about the most. As we look forward to the new year, I want to wish everyone a Merry Christmas and a happy, healthy year ahead. Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly sunny today, wind up to 15K, a high of minus 21, an afternoon wind chill to minus 33 with a risk of frostbite. Increasing cloudiness tonight, snow beginning near midnight with wind from the south at 30K, temperature steady near minus 21, a wind chill to minus 33 with a risk of frostbite. For Saturday, a snow ending early in the afternoon, then a mix of sun and cloud, wind from the south at 30 gusting to 50, a high of minus 10 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 20. This is After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. And now part two of Tuesday morning's front burner from CBC News. What are we seeing in, in Canada? Are, are there uh, like high-profile figures in this community in, in Canada who have been sort of uh, active in the, in the conspirituality COVID-19 ecosystem? There's a spectrum. So two influencers that I reported on for The Walrus are Danielle Laporte, who's a women's empowerment kind of popular psychology influencer based in Vancouver, and then a guy named Lamont Daigle, who's a men's group facilitator and Kangan water seller in 
Toronto. So Kangen water is like miracle water. It comes in a special bottle or something. It's sold through multi-level marketing. Uh, they, you know, they say if you drink enough of it, it'll clear your spilkus or your cancer and also balance your, your chakras or whatever. Um, now Lamont Daigle, uh, he's co-founder of an organization called The Line here in Toronto. And if anybody has seen photographs from anti-mask, anti-vaccine, anti-lockdown protests, uh, in Toronto, Montreal, Calgary, Edmonton, wherever, and you've seen a logo on a sign, black, a white backdrop, um, black circle painted in kind of a Zen ink thing, and then a red slash through it. If you turn that logo about 20 degrees clockwise, it looks like a Q. Uh, and huh. when I asked him, I said, it kind of looks like a Q, and he kind of smiled and dodged the question. Um, anyway, this group is a driving force in anti-lockdown protests, uh, in Toronto especially. Um, Saturdays, they tend to gather. And at those protests, you'll see signs protesting the cabal, the Rothschilds, the globalist agenda, mm-hmm. uh, signs saying, just say no to adrenochrome. The whole world is looking to see what Toronto is going to do. I'm one of the leaders of what's happening here in Toronto. I've been busting myself every week to get people out. And I said, you know what? We're going to get thousands of people here. We're going to come to a new location and we're going to take the streets. No more sidewalks for us. We're not going to take the sidewalks. We're going to take the street. And look what happened. Shut down all the time. We shut down. We shut down downtown Toronto. So you can read bits from my interview with him in The Walrus. But um, as I was researching the article, I ran into... Uh, this group of young men on the boardwalk in the beaches here where I live, you know, I sat down on a park bench next to this guy who was wearing kind of hippie clothes and he was playing a guitar and he was lecturing, like really lecturing two other young men about the line and about the globalist agenda and about the vaccine rollout and about how Lamont, you're going to meet Lamont Daigle tonight, man. You guys aren't going to believe it. You know, it's, it's kind of like meeting Jesus. This oh, is what wow. this, this, this is what this kid was saying. Uh, and I was like, also, I was with my own children. And so like, I couldn't break in and say, Hey, uh, can I ask you a few questions? But this is, you know, it was it's a great example of the coalescence between sort of uh, conspiratorial paranoia and then spiritual prophecy sort of all rolled up into one a very exciting kind of like event-based package you know you you talked about driving forces of sort of the anti you know um the driving forces of sort of anti-mask, anti-vax. I, I, I can't help but think that on the political level, the People's Party of Canada is also one of those, has also been one of those forces. And and is have you seen any overlap between this party and this alternative wellness conspirituality world? Yeah. So, so a very, very important name for everybody to remember is Nicholas Pereira. I mean, important name. I think he's overexposed. <laughs> so there's part of me that's reluctant to give him more oxygen, but he is, uh, he was a candidate in one of the ridings in New Brunswick, but he teaches men how not to ejaculate. Right. So some people might just from the headlines, they might remember this guy as the semen retention guy, just the semen retention guy, right? Yeah. Semen retention soldiers. Have you set your goals for the week? 
What are you focused on? Where's your mind? Wherever your mind goes, you follow. Your life follows. Right now, I'm in the final week of the campaign here in my local uh, city in St. John. It's a federal campaign happening in Canada, and it's the first time I'm running. My mind is... Uh, there are alt-right and far-right groups that are into semen retention, not necessarily as a spiritual practice, but because, you know, things like they view pornography usage as humiliating and weakening. Mm. So for them, it's about not expending excess energy, but this, this it's tied up with these sort of subtle, but sometimes overt misogynistic ideas that women or thinking about women drains vital energy away from male bodies. Mm-hmm. Now with uh, with Pereira, we see this bumped up a notch uh, in, I think it has a little bit more sort of uh, culture and credibility to it. So firstly, uh, his other name is Nakula Das, and he's either taken or he's been given that Sanskritic name by a yoga group. And, you know, if I'm right about this yoga background, um, then the uh, the semen retention takes on a kind of significance from a practice called Ayurveda, uh, which is an Indian sort of pre-modern naturopathy. And in Ayurveda, they say that semen retention is at the heart of immune building. Mm. So if you really want to have a strong immune system, you will not ejaculate. Uh, you will protect yourself in that way. Uh, but they also say that in a spiritual sense, it allows people to wake up to a kind of hidden knowledge about the universe. And here is the sort of, this is where the, the biological and the ideological converge, right, in this, this one strange idea. Is there a certain part of the political or ideological spectrum you would say that, that a lot of these people generally fall on? I think it might, it might be intuitive to some people to think uh, that, that maybe people who are part of this wellness community uh, may lean to the left of the political and ideological spectrum. But it's fair for me to say that that's not necessarily the case, that, that, that they, they very much could also lean to the right. Absolutely. Or there's no resistance within yoga and wellness culture to right-wing ideologies becoming de rigueur. And that, that really is sourced back to the fact that the fundamental premise is one of privatized religion, Mm -hmm. where the self and the, the sort of progress of the personal identity towards an enlightened state is the most important sort of aspect of the entire landscape. Uh, it's more, it's also that yoga practice and wellness contexts actively depoliticize people over the tenure of their practice lives. Don't engage in politics or, you know, uh, let's not discuss uh, divisive things in this sacred space. And we're here to, you know, commune with our higher nature. And, you know, uh, we want to, we want to uh, separate ourselves off from negativity, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So, okay. you know, there's no real um, political, uh, backbone within yoga and wellness spaces. They're quite neoliberal that way. Uh, they're really about the care of the self and going with the flow. And this was so interesting. I could, I could listen to you talk about this all day. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for this, Matthew. Thank you. You're really welcome. Thanks a lot. Great questions. That's it for Frontburner for today. 
I'm Angela Starrett in for Jamie Poisson. We'll talk to you again tomorrow. That was Tuesday morning's Front Burner from CBC News. You can also catch Front Burner on the CBC Listen app or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. This is 93.1 CFIS FM with After 9 continues in a moment. It's Rez Krebs and the Friday panel. Engage your board and align their work with organizational values and vision with Advantage Points, Board's Fundamentals, Roles and Responsibilities. A highly effective and engaged board has clarity around roles and responsibilities and aligns their work and performance with organizational values and vision. Registration, cost, and full details are available through the training link at advantagepoint.ca. Board Fundamentals, Roles, and Responsibilities, January 18th from 5.30 to 8.30 through the advantagepoint.ca. Catsharp's recent project, Cleave, is now available for viewing at Two Rivers Gallery. Cleave embodies themes of connection and identity as Cat explores her Densulan heritage. Her multimedia pieces incorporate culturally significant imagery, as well as materials like leather and fur processed by family members. Check out Cleave by Cat Sharp on display from January 9th at Two Rivers Gallery, open 10 to 5 Tuesday through Saturday and noon to 5 Sunday, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. If you're the caregiver of a senior or elder, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. That's where the Family Friend Caregiver of Senior Support Group comes in. The group provides emotional support and information, as well as a place to share ideas and experiences with other caregivers. It will help you feel less isolated and more connected in a safe environment, providing mutual support and shared ideas. For more information or to join the free online Family Friend Caregiver of Senior Support Group, email bahfacilitator at pgnfc.com. Registration is now open for iSparks BC Indigenous Athlete Development Camp for Swimming. The event is being held on January 15th and 16th at the Sam Lindsay Aquatic Center in Kitimat. Male and female Indigenous youth ages 10 through 17 are invited to participate, all levels from beginners to experienced swim club athletes. Registration and full details are available through iSpark.ca. The BC Indigenous Athlete Development Camp for Swimming, January 15th and 16th in Kitimat. Registration deadline is 4 p.m. January 12th. You're listening to After 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. Good morning and welcome to After 9. Uh, this is your host, Rez Krebs. And as always, I'm joined by Trudy Klassen, Art Betke, Eric Allen, Herb Martin, and Peter Ewart. And this morning on our the last day of the year, uh, we're going to be looking at uh, the year ahead, what kind of issues the panel is caring about and what uh, we want to see from our elected officials uh, change or, or maybe what they're doing that's actually working. Um, you know, this last year, as the year prior, was dominated by COVID, uh, you know, the response to the pandemic, issues with supply chains, issues with, uh, you know, bringing vaccines to everyone and i'm i'm kind of wondering from the panel you know the currently we see the omicron going everywhere but it's also slightly less of an issue for people at least that's what i've been reading in the news lower hospitalization rates better recovery times etc um Maybe we'll start with Trudy and ask you, what do you think is going to happen in the next year with COVID? And, and, and more importantly, what do you want to see happen in the response from the government? What do you, what do you want to see changed? Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks. I think 
I think with with seeing how fast COVID or uh, the Omicron variant is spreading, I, I really, I mean, despite what a lot of people are saying, I mean, we're all going to get this thing, um, whether we're vaccinated or not. And um, my hope is 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 that that means that like some uh, public health officials and even Bonnie Henry was were suggesting that this may signal the end of the pandemic so or the beginning of the end um but in the meantime how we get there i think it's i i can't see our government suddenly seeing the light and going oh maybe we need to have more icu beds maybe you know i cuz i think at this point it's too late to do any of that i think we're just going to stumble through the rest of it and uh, sadly, there will be people dying who shouldn't be. Um, but I think uh, for those of us that manage to skim through it um, and come out unscathed, which should be the vast majority of people, of course, but um, I think at the end of the year or during this year, we're going to have to come to terms with how badly our health uh, system functions. I think it's just abysmal that we are a you know, one of the richest countries in the world and our healthcare system is this terrible. There's so many people that I've talked to that, um, you know, that they've been uh, like, let's say they've either they've, they've had COVID, but they've gotten no instructions on how to deal with it. Or they've gone to the, they've called their doctor and their doctor says, well, you can't come in without a pot, without a negative COVID test. And then they try to get into a clinic and they're told the same thing. And, and people don't know when to go in, like when they're too sick. And, and this is really sad that two years in that we're at this point. It just seems so disorganized and so um, just it doesn't seem like we've learned anything from day one of the pandemic in terms of how we are providing health care. I know that that's not true, but that's what it seems like. So right. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's quite confusing, actually, when I was in a... I was exposed, and there were about five of us who had an exposure. We all called 811, and it seemed like we all got different directions. <laughs> I know, and, and that's just not how it should be. Like, um, And then at the same time, we're, we're penal. Like, we've got all these dictates that, and, and it's become so politicized, and that, and that, I think, is the worst thing that has happened. And, and then during the election, it was actually used as a wedge issue, and it's just terrible i i don't know exactly how we're going to go forward i i i trust people a lot i think people will eventually come to figure out that hey you know what um in this case government i mean as always big government is not the solution and we're going to hopefully start to look for solutions that are more that are closer to home and all of us know that decisions are better the closer they are made to the people that it immediately affects so those are some good uh, issues that you brought up there, um, Trudy, with what's going on currently. Art, do you have some ideas on how the government could change their approach to improve how we're responding to COVID? Yeah, last year at this time, uh, the vaccines were new and we were full of hope and we thought uh, we were looking at the end of it and nobody would have predicted that we would uh, have most of the population vaccinated and at the same time have be setting records for new infections. So uh, hopefully this Omicron, Omicron, I have trouble with that word. I don't know why. <laughs> Star Trek. I'm not Greek. Uh, but hopefully that uh, is going to be actually uh, a blessing. Uh, I've heard it from a number of sources that uh, it's o- taking over and uh, will therefore provide immunity because everybody's going to get it vaccinated or not. And uh, uh, that will give you real immunity for any future waves. Um, I 
would not like to bet, though, that there's going to be no more waves? I mean, we all thought the first wave was it, then the second, then the third, and now who knows how many wa- more waves. We've just got to let it run its course, I think. Uh, the one place that is not having the Omicron wave is Japan. Uh, they had the first couple, uh, they had the Delta, and right in the middle of the Delta wave, they started to use ivermectin as a treatment, and uh, their cases, new cases went down, and they stayed down. They have not risen, so far as I'm aware, yet with this Omicron. So uh, maybe, if we're lucky, our government will finally start treating people instead of just, you know, when I had it, they told me uh, isolate at home and... Uh, if you have trouble breathing, call 911. There was no treatment. Well, there are places that are treating, and it's effective. So hopefully, if nothing else, they'll start treating people with these things that are known to work. Yeah, I mean, there's, another, there's other factors that I've read about in Japan. Like, they're just used to wearing masks already, and in those really tightly packed areas, you know, they're all wearing high-quality KN95 masks, right? And... Didn't and help they, them they're, the other they're still packing people into the subway, right? And they're they're not having the same kind of spread that we're having. Yeah, well, it didn't stop it before. Interesting, um, Eric. What do you think? What do you want to see from the guy? Well, you know, the idea that it may or may not come again is sort of like whistling past the graveyard. You hope you get by there and nothing happens, but. Uh, I'm kind of optimistic for next year. I've already convinced myself it'll be gone. But <laughs> <laughs> you I've had enough of it. So time, time to move on. So hopefully that'll happen. But uh, the other side of it, too, is, is that <clears throat> really we weren't in any position to plan for a pandemic or an epidemic or anything. And governments always run their hospitals, hospital boards and that with, you know, loosely term uh, uh, the least amount of uh, staff as possible so you get into a major situation like this you can't just go out and get 500 more nurses or 500 uh, ICU uh, beds and all those things we don't have them and we don't have the staff and in no time flat the staff we do have is worn out and we got major major problems but it's a staffing problem you can't just manufacture nurses and doctors just out of midair and in a situation where it's all around the world, nobody's coming to town to give you a hand. So if we go into another one, it's going to be basically the same. We're not, we're not geared up for major, major problems at our hospitals. All right, Rez. Uh, Steve is looking at me. He thinks we should take a break. The Salvation Army has launched a massive emergency response effort to help victims of the worst B.C. flooding in recent history. Emergency units are on the ground in six of the hardest-hit communities, providing food, hydration, shelter, clothing, and blankets to first responders, evacuees, and flood victims. The Salvation Army also has launched an emergency flood relief appeal. Help out by making a safe and secure donation at SalvationArmy.ca slash B.C. Flood or by calling 1-800-SALARM. Why? Prince George Public Library has partnered with BCNet, a shared services organization, to offer the education roaming service. This makes it possible for students, faculty, and staff to seamlessly connect to their post-secondary wireless internet network from public library branches. Our public library is the first in BC to offer the e-room service. It's the latest move for the library to close the gap in access to information as BCNet continues to expand e-room free Wi-Fi service for higher education and research. 
Forecast from Environment Canada, mainly sunny today, wind at the 15K, a high of minus 21, an afternoon wind chill to minus 33 with a risk of frostbite. Increasing cloudiness tonight, snow beginning near midnight with wind from the south at 30K, temperature steady near minus 21, a wind chill to minus 33 with a risk of frostbite. For Saturday, a snow ending early in the afternoon, then a mix of sun and cloud, wind from the south at 30 gusting to 50, a high of minus 10 with an afternoon wind chill to minus 20. Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George. This is After 9 on 93.1 CFIS-FM. I'm guessing that we're going to hear something a little bit different from Herb. Uh, Herb, do you think that we need to continue with the kind of more drastic public health measures in order to combat this kind of never-ending pandemic that we're in? Uh, I I think what's what's happened, I think Canada and... uh, and Japan actually have have done a fairly good job, uh, all in all, compared to most other countries. And it relates to uh, vaccine um, uh, percentage rates. So both uh, Japan and, and Canada are around 77% vaccinated, as opposed to the U.S., which I believe is just over 60. So I think we're we're probably going to get through this next um, the the Omicron um, wave. Uh, fairly unscathed i'm hoping anyway and um uh, and things are are looking um uh, fairly good uh, south africa has already scaled back its um uh its restrictions uh they they've um, basically they've gone through a, a hard month and uh, but it's peaked and um um the rate of infection seems to be decreasing fairly um impressively there so with any luck we're we're going to follow the same path and um, I think we, you know, I'm, I'm hoping Bonnie Henry's right, and uh, we're looking at the end of um, uh, the end of COVID. Uh, but uh, yeah, there's there's no guarantees in this game, that's for sure. Yeah, I guess my real question, and I'll, I'll address this to Peter. Do we think that the, you know, given what we are hearing about Omicron, that it's less. Uh, virulent, you know, that it it has lower hospitalization. Do you think that the public health orders will become less stringent as well with, you know, the next waves? Because I don't think we're out of this. And my my kind of question is, you know, are we going to see the government back off of it or are they going to continue to want to exercise these newfound powers? (laughs) Well, I guess it depends on... uh on if there's going to be more waves, say. If there's more waves, the direction that governments seem to be going is, yeah, to bring in more stringent measures, which, uh, you know, are going to be a problem to a, to a number of people. But uh, I think eventually the, uh, you know, this thing will level off. Uh, it's, been, it's been dominant for the last couple of years. Um, you know, I think one of the things that is going to come up in the new year more and more is the whole question of the economy. And, you know, what is, what is the U.S. Federal Reserve, the Bank of Canada, and so on, going to be doing about the economy? And what will be the repercussions? So I think that's going to be uh, more and more on the, on the table. You know, because since the 2008 financial crisis, there's been massive printing of money and quantitative easing, trillions of dollars. They're flooding the economy with truckloads of money. And then, then you have uh, super low interest rates which has resulted in huge run-up of uh, corporate and personal debt. 
you know, but, you know, the whole question is, is that, you know, and this pandemic has brought this to the fore, along with the supply chain disruptions, but the printing of money and low interest rates have helped inflation, fuel inflation in a big way, you know, which everyone is noticing when they go to grocery stores or try to buy a house or whatever. So we could end up with uh, hyperinflation where the currency is uh, seriously devalued, like a, a giant bubble has been created, you know, by the printing of money and the low interest rates. And, uh, you know, the, the, the problem that I see, right, and again, more and more coming to the fore, is one of the key measures to, to counter inflation has been for governments to raise interest rates. But to do so in this environment, you know, uh, like COVID environment, et cetera, when you have massive corporate and personal debt, you, you risk plunging the economy into a deep recession, which many uh, could not survive on the personal level or on the business level. You know, and so, you know, you're looking, you know, that's one of the problems that people are facing besides all this COVID thing. They're looking at their bank accounts and their savings. You know, like if you're conservative, and just invest in GICs and government bonds, you risk having your assets eaten away by inflation. But if you want to keep up with inflation, you, you go for riskier things like stocks. But then what happens if the government uh, raises interest rates and the economy crashes? So everyone's caught between a rock and a hard place. And in my opinion, this whole COVID thing, you know, the, the problems like uh, Trudy and others have pointed out, uh, it, it focuses on the idea that we need a new model, a new global model, a national model that focuses on nation building and more all-rounded and self-reliant economies and where people, communities, small and medium businesses have more say about what happens in the economy and what happens with COVID-19 and other epidemics like it. Yeah, you're talking about a little more direct democracy, eh? I mean, that's a perfect transition into another one of the topics that we've covered uh, on this panel this last year, which is, of course, this, the hyperinflation, the lack of the, the, the scarcity of uh, human resources, and then, of course, the scarcity of, of goods, the supply chain problems and all the manufacturing having been offshored many years ago. Uh, Trudy, if you had your, you know, your magic wand out and you could do one thing uh, to change how this economy is currently functioning, what would that one thing be? Oh, golly. I think, I think I'm just going to borrow a line from my better half and say uh, a return to the gold standard. I don't know how that would happen. I'm, I'm not much of a macro, um, like world economics thinker. I, that just is, seems far beyond me, but I, it has to come down that we, I think, like this whole problem with inflation and this huge amount of debt that we've uh, that we've accumulated, it seems to me an overwhelming problem, and I, I think we have to. There has to be some sense of sanity restored. And um, my, like I said, my better half thinks part of that would be ret- a return to the gold standard. Mm. Um, well, everyone's going to get a chance to uh, make their their magic wand, but first of all, we'll take a break. One size does not fit all. A well-planned and implemented strategic plan can provide high levels of direction that aligns your team and accomplishes your not-for-profit goals. On January 27th, strategic planning from Vantage Point will focus on the importance of a strategic plan, its components, and how it can be achieved. For full details or registration, visit thevantagepoint.ca. It's another online learning opportunity from Vantage Point Strategic Planning ABCs, January 27th from 1 to 4. 
School District 57 has issued notice of election by voting for the Prince George trustee electoral area. General voting day will be open to qualified electors on Saturday, January 15th from 8 to 8 at Glenview, Heritage, Malaspina and Pineview Elementary Schools, as well as Van Bien Training Centre. There is no need to pre-register, but you will be required to produce two pieces of identification as proof of residency and identity. Full details of the School District 57 by-election process and rules are available at sd57.b. Two Rivers Gallery has a few hour changes for the holidays. The gallery will be closed on Saturday and Monday, then back to regular hours on January 4th, open Tuesday through Saturday from 10 to 5, until 9 on Thursdays, and from noon to 5 Sundays. Check out upcoming programs and exhibits at tworiversgallery.ca. Two Rivers Gallery, where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza. It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM. We're talking about, you know, one thing that we would like to see happen to move the economy in the direction we would like to see it move in, which is clearly lower inflation, higher savings, I would say more, more equality. Art, what do you think? What do you got your, what's your one thing you'd like to see happen? <laughs> uh, I'm no economist either. Uh, but I do have a favorite economist that I do find on YouTube now and then by the name of Thomas Sowell. He's 90 years old now, but back in about oh, 2015, uh, he was being interviewed and uh, he laid out basically what would be needed to spur the economy from the doldrums that it was in at the time, which is, could be basically summed up as uh, get government out, you know, stop interfering, unleash the uh, business, the free enterprise, and it'll turn around within six months. And then, lo and behold, Trump got elected, and he did that, and it worked. So let's try what he did, maybe. I know I'll catch a lot of flack for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, well, we'll let the flack start with uh, Eric. How's that? Eric, what do you, what's the one thing that you'd like to see? happen here in the economy in order to turn well i think we got to start looking at what's really going on around us <clears throat> you know where we export all kinds of raw materials all over the world that god knows what kind of rates certainly we're not making a lot of money on it the average citizen and then they manufacture these cheaper products and that and send them back here and we go and buy them now really that doesn't make sense on any level unless you're a, a big corporate company and then it's perfect, you know, manufacture cheap and, and sell for a, a high price. So we have to stop this corporate conglomerations going around and just kicking the bejesus out of us. And uh, one of the ways to do that is, is to stop the uh, private or, uh, uh, privately or publicly traded companies because their, their philosophy is, you know, maximum profits, minimum cost, and uh, the devil take the hindmost. So, and go back to the private company system where, you you know, the term at one time was a reasonable profit. Companies should be happy with a reasonable profit. They're not happy with a reasonable profit anymore. They got to get everything they get their hands on. So, we have to stop that somehow. We've got a perfectly good country. It used to be, I think, eight or something on this. Well, in the G8 anyway. And uh, this town here is bereft of jobs. We have trouble creating any jobs in this town. And uh, we've got everything we need to create jobs, and we can't create one. So we can't keep going in that direction. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. I mean, you're talking about both uh, 
changing how corporations are regulated, but also a requirement on what we export so that we would have to actually put more into it. Um, I think that Herb might have some uh, thoughts on, especially on how the forest industry does this. Herb, what's your, I mean, I'll leave it open to you. What's your magic wand wish here? Well, yeah, I mean, it, as far as locally uh, is concerned, I mean, you know, the forestry industry is kind of paramount around here. But, um, and if you look at the state of things, um, it's kind of unbelievable. The uh, price of uh, WSPF uh, last, uh, last week is up to 950 bucks U.S., 1200 bucks Canadian, which is about four times the uh, 20-year average. So, um, so there's a real shortage of lumber. Um, in the meantime, uh, we've got uh, corporations um, um, shutting down uh, lumber mills, uh, exporting, grinding whole trees into pellets for export. And uh, so we do need, um, I mean, I, I, I agree with Art, we need more, more competition, but um, corporations are not providing that. Corporations are actually, I, I believe, acting as profiteers at this point. Uh, there's no reason why a lumber should be that expensive, and it's going to hinder us in uh, any further further development. So we've got to um, we've got to open up the forest industry somehow. And um, uh, I think one thing we have to do is get a, uh, an inquiry or a, or a commission, uh, and and really have a good hard look at a lot of things that's going on. Uh, the price of lumber is just one of them. Hmm. Uh, and you're you're talking specifically about the forest industry having some kind of commission. Yeah, well, the whole forest uh, industry in BC. I mean, we've had mm-hmm. uh, we've had commissions in the past, inquiries in the past, and it's time for another one. I mean, no one's really satisfied with the way that the fires were fought. Uh, no one's um, too impressed with the way things are at the, at the moment in terms of. Uh, corporations' behavior, ethics in the in the field, uh, and the and, and the outcome, which is less jobs and higher prices for us all. So uh, yeah, no, it's time for a total rejigging. Okay, and this is why I love this panel because we've had the, a wide gamut from deregulate everything to you know need some kind of inquiry in order to determine what kind of regulations we need. Peter, you've got the last uh, wave of the magic wand here. Right. You do. Yeah. Well, for me, like, uh, I look at the, the, the problem today, right, and it basically it comes down to who's making the decisions, who has the, who has the control, and who doesn't have the control are communities, workers, even small and medium businesses, and so on. We have a world today where the control has been passed over to globalized corporations, and I think that so the, the economic question is actually a political one. You know, how do we develop the means and mechanisms and so on so that uh, people at the, at the local level and the provincial level and national level can have more control over how the economy is going and where it's going? You know, because right now, you know, we're just bystanders. And uh, we have these uh, globalized corporations uh, making uh, decisions that uh, affect communities in a big way, yet the communities have no say in, in terms of what happens. And... Uh, so I, I think that uh, that's a, a fundamental problem that has to be addressed in, in various ways. So this is it's interesting. Do we have do we have consensus that there needs to be more community involvement, as in democratic involvement in decision making around the economy? Uh, yes, Trudy. 
I would say that the best kind of democratic decision making that there is is each person making their own decisions, and we do that all the time. Every time we buy something, um, in, uh, so I'm not. I I think I would probably agree in principle that it's best to have more democracy anywhere. Yeah. But I think that's how you get. Like I don't think it's democratic to have a panel. Uh, decide for everybody what's best. I think we have multiple examples of that not working out very good at all. Right. Arch, what do you think? More democratic involvement? Less government involvement. More people? Uh, leave it up to the individual. Leave it up to the business owners. The government uh, starts trying to decide who does what and how, who makes what and all that kind of stuff. It just makes things worse every single time it's been tried. Yeah, Eric, you think more uh, direct democracy? Well, we, we certainly need to shine a light on what's going on. I mean, we've got probably at least a third of the population of Prince George is working uh, on, you know, medium or less income jobs, and they can't afford to buy a house. They can't afford anything. I mean, you know, if you just look at that model, we're a perfect model, 84,000 people in the middle of province of British Columbia, we're a perfect model to look at and say, what's going to happen with this city if we don't do something? And, you know, it's not hard to figure out. People are going to end up living in well, are already in basement suites and all over because they can't afford a house. At one time, you could afford a house and the economy would be booming and they'd be building them now. I would say in the next couple of years, we'd be like, if we build any houses the way we're going. Yeah. I mean, who's going to buy them? All right, we have 15 seconds, Raz. Thanks. Thanks, Tree. I just uh, wanted to wrap up by saying Happy New Year, everyone. And I'm going to call that a consensus for pushing forward in the new year for more uh, more people power and citizen power in our in our political processes. Awesome. Thanks, everyone. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. After 9 is a daily presentation of CFIS-FM. After 9 is produced by Alan Wishart, Echo Wiley, Trudy Clausen, and Rez Krebs. Executive producer is Reg Fair with technical assistance from Stephen Smith. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. Theme music is by The Ebbs. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at CFISFM.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email CFISFM at Yahoo.ca. You're listening to CFISFM Prince George, a not-for-profit community radio station broadcasting with 500 watts of power at 93.1 on the FM dial. CFISFM is owned and operated by the